matters of the mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Welcome to Matters of the Mind, minding everything that matters, definitely. Those are your thoughts, your worries, your concerns. We are here to address them, answer them, and if you have any great points, definitely send them our way. I am Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, host of this awesome show put together by my wonderful producer and co-host Todd Miller. How are you, Todd? Good morning. Doing very well, actually. And it's uh, I should point out that we're going to put a plug in for another uh, radio station. It's 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 Bell Let's Talk Day. So uh, use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk to raise awareness about mental health issues. Absolutely. Uh, folks, if you know anyone who has a mental health issue, as we've always said, uh, if they need the help or they're looking for the help, we have wonderful resources that you can contact us about and we can hook you up with them. And definitely organizations like CAMH, Abuse Hurts, that are wonderful organizations that have been part of our show in the past. Definitely check those out online. Absolutely, and we have a wonderful guest from uh, what you were uh, telling me earlier. Yes, we have a tremendous guest. I'm really, really, really happy uh, to get uh, Becca Stevens on. She is just an amazing champion for women. Uh, Becca Stevens is actually one of the premier preachers and speakers in the United States of America who proclaims love as the most powerful force for social change. And she has done a lot of work in helping um, women who have survived prostitution, trafficking, and addiction. And Becca herself uh, is no slouch to the media. Uh, she's been featured in the New York Times, on ABC World News, NPR, PBS, CNN, uh, Huffington Post, and named by the White House as one of the 15 champions of change for violence against women back in 2011. And if that's not enough, she is married to Grammy-winning songwriter Marcus Hummon. And they also have three kids. And, of course, they live in Nashville. What a great place to probably be today, Todd. What an insane life. I mean, uh, she'll, she'll probably laugh when she hears me say that, but that is, that is, a, that is a life well lived, and it's not over. I mean, she's really uh, maximizing it. But the funny thing that, that jumps out of all of that is that love is the answer. Um, from my limited experience in, in some of the issues that you talked about that she addresses— um, a lot of this stems from, I believe, people not loving themselves, feeling they're unworthy, but also feeling that there are others that don't love them. They don't have love in their lives. Absolutely, totally beyond a shadow of a doubt. I think, you know what, you think the Beatles were a little ahead of their time when they basically sang, all you need is love. And it really is, Todd. I think love is an inside job that first starts within the person. And I've always been a firm advocate of it. Um, you really can't truly love, truly love people outside of yourself unless you first truly love yourself. And when, you know, we're talking about it from this perspective, and I'm sure Beck is gonna talk about it, a lot of people confuse love with self-adoration, a sense of self-entitlement, or they go the other side and they think it's a lust, a lust of oneself in some sort of derogatory way. And that's absolutely not the truth. And I think you said it, Todd, it's basically accepting yourself, uh, finding this 
level of satisfaction with yourself, harmony in yourself, and then know that basically uh, for those that believe in God, the universe, divinity, that you're a masterpiece. You're the apple of God's eye and you're here for a reason. To talk about prostitution, that is probably the the opposite of love. That is uh, a way to make money. And, and, and from what I understand in reading various things, there are a lot of prostitutes that don't feel very good about themselves and they're doing it simply to survive. Some are doing it for the attention uh, and some are doing it as a way to, you know, to make a lot of money to do something else. But at the root cause of it, I mean, I would think there's a, a lack of of self-worth that pushes them in that direction. You know, it's interesting, Todd, because one of my best and closest friends, who's now a retired police officer, um, used to work on the streets quite a bit with prostitutes uh, in the sex trade, doing stuff with uh, that whole thing to try to clean it up and that. And also, you know, I would go out with them, uh, with the police and that stuff. So I got to speak with, uh, you know, prostitutes that work the streets and that stuff, sex trade workers. And it's really, uh, you know, the illusion starts out, it's going to be a Julia Roberts thing and Pretty Woman. For a lot of them, they think they're going to make money. And when you get down to the root of the matter, a lot of them just don't have a high self-regard for themselves. And the cash serves as one of two substitutes, either for survival, the cash as a means of surviving, or the cash, if they, if they think they're going to make a lot of money and get out of that lifestyle, which then eventually many succumb to drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, they believe that the cash, money, being wealthy or getting some level of satisfaction, bling and material goods is going to, how should we say, mask the real deep down hurt, which is rejection that really, you know, put the ball forward. So are they actually thinking it's going like, is it is it top of mind that they're thinking, oh, this is going to push all of my feelings down? Or is it a way to just make life a little easier and potentially without thinking about it, make some of those things go away? I think it's all the above, Todd. Um, because we, it, when, we get, when it gets down to it, uh, sorry to interrupt, people are different. So, so each, each uh, sex trade worker, each prostitute is going to have a different story, a different set of circumstances. But uh, at the end of the day, there's still that allure that the money is going to, uh, is going to make it glamorous. Absolutely. To go back to what my best friend always used to say, he used to say, Doc, Cash is king, baby. Cash is king, baby. That was his famous line. And he said, you know, for the right price, uh, you know, and, you know, he's more of the cynical type person because he was street smarts working, vice, sex trade and all that stuff. He said it'd be, it, it's amazing what somebody would give up or sell for the right price, even their souls. And I think, unfortunately, Todd, when you get into a lot of street workers, prostitutes, sex trade workers, sometimes, you know, they look at, they here's the part. They've sold their soul to the streets. They've sold their soul to the sex trade. And many of them believe they don't have any souls any longer. Therefore, a lot of them feel like they're stuck in this for life. Yeah. And prior to Pretty Woman, the one that jumps up for me was Trading Places, where Jamie Lee Curtis was the streetwise uh, hooker. But she was more of an escort. And then she would be, you know, when she when she was talking with Dan Aykroyd about what she did, she's oh, I've got, you know, 80,000 in T-bills. I've got blah, blah, blah. So she was approaching it as, uh, you know, very much as a vocation, as a way to make money and survive and not necessarily... I think she felt good about herself, but again, it sort of glamorizes and, and airbrushes over the, the real impact on people's lives. And I think that's what you basically hit the head right on the head, you know, on the nail there, Todd. They, in that movie, obviously, it's Hollywood, 
but she viewed it as a career. Interestingly, within Pretty Woman, it was almost viewed as a career type. But what we never saw, and what the people don't see, and I'm sure Beck is going to talk about it, is the real ugly world that's out there that I witnessed firsthand. I've seen it, um, and it's not a pretty sight. It's horrible. And the difference is, is a lot of times Hollywood will promote it like you know, it's a feel-good type of movie because of who's in it, what it's all about. And it's the career take on it, but in the real life, it's not career. It's all about survival, and it's all about supporting a drug habit. Absolutely, and, and I believe in both of those movies, there was never a, a pimp involved or a, a handler. It was always the woman working for herself, and uh, it, it was glamorized. It was like, oh, yeah, here we got a strong woman taking care of herself, financially supporting herself, and there's no dark side. No, and I, I remember back when we had Joey Pants on our show, Joey Panoliano, who basically was Guido the Pimp in Risky Business starring Tom Cruise, and I remember he was, we saw how he dealt with his girls in that movie, which wasn't a pretty thing. No. Well, we have to take a short break and get our guest on the phone. You're listening to Matters of the Mind. And again, it's Bell Let's Talk Day. So use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk and raise awareness and also raise some, some hard-earned cash uh, to uh, remove the stigma from mental health. We'll be back right after this short break. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. Peter Andrew Sacco, and do you have technological rage? Oh yeah, the new rage of anger. Download my new book today, Technological Rage, on my website, www.petersacco.com, and learn what technological rage is and how it is sweeping people today, leading to online dating anger, texting anger, and social online networking forums. Hmm, did you ever think you might get angry texting? Facebooking or online dating, maybe you never thought it would happen to you, or maybe you know somebody that has this and you just need to understand it a little more. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line Well, hello there, and welcome back to Matters of the Mind. And as we were talking about before we went to break, we got a tremendous guest. I am absolutely stunningly pleased to bring the Reverend <laughs> Becca Stevens onto our show. Becca, as we had talked about early on, 
is not just an achiever. We're talking beyond achievement with what she has uh, basically done in her life. But the greatest thing with this is that she's reaching out to a lot of people. As we talked about earlier, Becca Stevens is one of the premier preachers and speakers in the whole United States of America proclaiming love as the most powerful force for social change. So she's definitely online with what the Beatles preached, that all you need is love. And Becca <laughs> uh, has done a lot with getting women, prostitutes, the whole trafficking addiction, helping people recover. So Becca, thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, and I love that you're using the Beatle lyric to explain it. Yes, yeah, so we, we, we go for the easy, uh, the easy tie-in when we can. <laughs> but Becca, your husband, your, your hubby Marcus there, he is a country? Is it Grammy-winning songwriter? Is it country music he's into, or is it more of the It is vinyl? country music. Oh, okay, very country. good. Yeah, I mean, he... Um, he grew up in Africa, but he moved to Nashville and he started writing country music. And he's written other genres, but his big success and that's kept the family going is definitely, definitely country music. And our son has signed a record deal. That's a country music record deal, too. So we've moved down a generation now. Do you have any musical talent or do you play the radio? No, I play the supportive wife and mother. <laughs> But we have to ask, we'd be remiss without asking, you are in Nashville. You are in that whole neck area of the woods in Tennessee there. So, uh -huh. Elvis fan? Are you an Elvis fan? Um, I don't even want to answer that. What I will say is this, <laughs> is I'm a fan of great songwriting and singing and storytelling. And I think it's translated well, um, that love of story and that love of uh, being able to translate to a wider audience it's an idea you have, and I think I really did get that from my husband and being around writers my whole life. And so, like, I was just in Jamaica two days ago, and telling the story and sharing the story of Thistle Farms and Magdalene, and one of the organizers of the event came up and said that the thing that she will take away was how important the story is, and that for her, most women have not been encouraged you know, in Jamaica to tell the story, the story, the universal story of abuse and the universal story of healing. So Becca, with that said, you've got a tremendous story to tell. So I guess the first place I want to start out with is the beginning of any story. How did you get involved with helping women in prostitution, trafficking and addiction get their lives clean? Well, truly, I think I got started when I was very young. I'm, uh, don't compare my story with anybody else's story and can't imagine what most of the women have gone through that I serve through the communities of Fiscal Farms. But when I was little, my dad, who was an Episcopal priest, was killed by a drunk driver when they had moved to Nashville, Tennessee, when I was about five years old. And left my mom and my four siblings and I in pretty precarious situation. And then the new... Um, elder, the new spiritual head of the church, came in and befriended the whole family and began sexually abusing me, beginning in the church for a couple of years. And I think really there, my heart was forged for having compassion for the women that are walking the streets and in jails, and living under bridges, and trying to figure out how to make sense in this world. But after that, I went on to school, got ordained 
and always had this idea in the back of my head that I really wanted to make a sanctuary for women that was beautiful and safe and compassionate. So looking back at your experience when you were when you were young and you said that you, you were in a pretty precarious position, what uh, were you aware of it? I mean, was was there uh, was there always a, a comparison or were you intensely aware that maybe you you had a harder life or harder circumstances than some of your other friends? I don't think I had any idea. Honestly, I think you don't even have words for all that stuff when you're a little kid. And I think, though, that you just feel out of sorts and you feel mistrustful of authority. And it affects a lot of your relationships, that kind of long-term physical abuse. And so I think for me, somehow, without knowing it, without knowing there's any connection between what I went through and the women on the streets at Thistle Farms went through without knowing there's any, any connection. Um, you know, I think I had in some way something more in common with the women that were on the streets than my fellow pastors. And somehow I knew that instinctively, if that makes any sense. Well, you, you bring, you, sorry to use the word preach, but you're preaching what you know. You've You've been there, you can understand, and you can have some compassion for them rather than someone who's read about it in a textbook and then goes out to to help others. Right. I mean, I, I think what you do is you get a sense for like, oh my gosh, this really can mess people up. And it's true that the boot camp for trafficking women, for women who end up addicted and prostituted on the streets, whether you're talking about Rwanda, Canada, Jamaica, Nashville, is child trauma, specifically sexual abuse. On average, the women that I've ended up serving for the last 20 years are first rate between the ages of 7 and 11. And so they end up hitting the streets between like 14 and 16 years old. And so, again, just for me, it has been a journey of learning, you know, how it is that vulnerable kids become runaways, become trafficked, and how you know, that story is is universal, and it's a horrible and sad story, but that there's another story, and it's a story that's hopeful, and it's a story that reminds us we can't kill hope in people, that women that come from those situations can do amazing recovery work, be amazing healers. You know, it's, it's a good story, too. The story of Thistle Farms and Magdalene is a story of hope. So... Becca, I guess let me start uh, going further with this then. With what was done, what you had experienced personally and firsthand, as well as, you know, the women, the girls that you work with, that's got to be tremendously traumatic. It's got to be angerful, rageful, the whole nine yards. So I guess the place that one has to start out to really, I guess, start to feel normal, whatever that is, or at least on the healing process, and being able to reintegrate themselves into society and not be cynical and be, as you put, loving, is to find forgiveness. So how hard was it for you to find forgiveness for what had happened to you? Oh, I don't, you know, that was my problem. It's like, I can get it. I can get the idea that somebody has messed up and whether that, you know, that kind of abuse where somebody you know, wants to abuse a child like that comes from, you know, a pretty dark place. And it also, you try to imagine what it is that he went through 
maybe in his life to get to a place like that. And it's like, I just don't want it to have any power in my life. I don't want it to be my whole story. And so forgiveness is really the means to that end. And so I don't have a problem with trying to forgive and love folks. That's that's not my, that wasn't like my problem. My problem was I held on to it so long that it became toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I should have done it much earlier. And so what I did was when I started Magdalene Thistle Farms, I ended up, setting up a meeting with the guy that was my abuser and his wife and actually went to their house and said, um, you know, I need to tell you a story. And he was, just as you can imagine, a nervous wreck. And so I explained the story of a couple of the really vivid memories I had and just told it. His wife, you know, got sick and I said, you can get sick, y'all can cry, you can do whatever, but I have to tell it. And he looked at me and said, who have you told? That was his very first question. Wow. And it was the most healing, crazy thing he could have said because I'm like, oh my God, it is all true. I didn't elaborate, I mean, or embellish this, or I didn't just have nightmares and make some of this up. He just said, everything I just said is true. So in a way, it was very empowering, and I just looked at him and I said, you know, anybody I want, it's not my secret. I didn't do anything, and I've carried it for so long, and it's like, I'm giving it back to you. Now y'all carry it. Mm. Y'all take the story, and you do the healing work that you need to do. And then I set what I thought were really good and healthy boundaries and parameters and told everybody in his family and everybody that was surrounding him so that to make sure he was accountable. And I went on in my life and did the work that I wanted to do for other women that had gone through stuff like that. So Becca, let me just ask then just to further that part of the question. At what point, um, and you can answer this probably personally because you've been there, done it, overcome it, but for those that are listening that have been through that, um, and Todd and I, we had a, a really good friend of mine on last week, um, Sanderson Lane. He's with Abuse Hurts. Um, it's an organization that we have here in Canada as well as the states and worldwide that looks at abuse, how people, you know, people have been abused, and it's a place for individuals to go and get help. So with that said, at what point do you realize, hey, I've totally forgiven what has happened to me, and I am now at a place of total reconciliation, not with only the perpetrator, whether I met them or not, but I can actually deal and enjoy life again. Is it an aha moment that just hits you, or is it something that just takes time to get through, and do you ever get through it? Mm, I think, well, here, I think a couple things, and for me, I would say that I do not believe healing is a linear process at all like you start unhealed and then you get to a place and you're healed (laughs) you know you know that's true in all of our lives that we have these maybe spaces of aha moments and then back into you know um some hurting times and then you get into really joyful times and then something carries you back into another space but that there's a overall progression of you know what i think of healing is an intentional walk towards wholeness that we keep walking in that direction and for me i don't know if i had total you know peace about it or total recon- you know i didn't have a reconciliation with that man for sure but what i had i think is 
a desire to be able to love, you know, everybody, which means you can't hate anybody. And so if I want to be loving and compassionate, I have to be loving and compassionate and practice it. And that's the best I can say. I mean, that's the best that I've tried to do. And I've tried to do it, you know, I don't know how other people do it, but I've met women who have forgiven so much, and I'm so amazed that, you know, in forgiveness there is freedom. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you forget. It doesn't mean that you don't hold people accountable. It doesn't mean you don't learn from it and, you know, have more power. But it does mean that you can find even some mercy and grace in those hard experiences. And it means that, for me, that, you know, you can be grateful for some of it because you wouldn't be the person you are now without that. I heard two very interesting things in there that I'd like to ask you about. It sounded very much like your abuser had not processed it as well. He was just bottling it, keeping it down, and his aha moment probably came when you confronted he, him and, and were in the company of his wife. So it finally gave him an opportunity to recognize that it was done and process it and get rid of it. Mm. And, and the other thing that <clears throat> was interesting that um, about the aha moment is it comes at different places for different people. But mm. I find that some women and some men that have been abused hang on to it far too long and it's almost like they don't want to let go of it. There's a, there's no statute of limitations on the pain I would like to inflict on my abuser. That person, they're gonna, I'm going to ruin their lives. It's And they don't realize, I guess, that they're also ruining their own because they're hanging on to that, that pain and that, that experience and if they just push past it or, or, or acknowledge it, it goes away and I feel that there's, there's, they want to inflict pain on their abuser for a, a lengthy, lengthy time. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think you're exactly right. I think you're right. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That's true. I don't know why that is. Why they? It's just like, I cannot forgive. I cannot forgive. This person needs to pay, and it doesn't matter how long they live. I'm going to make them pay. It's kind right. of sad. Right, and then but... you get stay pretty, pretty sick. That I mean, that's the truth. Is you will stay as sick that person in that role in some ways. Not that it's not like an amazing hard work, but I've seen women, you know, who have been duct taped, who have been raped, who have been treated inhumanely, who have been trafficked, you know, find freedom afterwards. Find their voice and find a way to move forward, not chained to all those past experiences. And I've seen other women who have, you know, stayed trapped for decades. And I think it is, I mean, I think it's hard work, but I do think it is, you know, it's, anyway, I'm drawn to it, (laughs) obviously. Okay. So I guess looking at this, Becca, we have just a few minutes before we have to go to commercial break. At what point, I guess, um, does an individual, because Todd and I were talking about it at the beginning of the show with prostitution, where is the defining moment where a woman says, I've had enough, 
enough is enough with this kind of stuff. And let's just not just, you know, we're not going to just say it's all about women because there are males that are in prostitution as well, too, actually selling themselves. At what point does a person say, I've got to get out of this? Um, and can they make that conscious decision on their own and just walk away from it and find the change? Or do they have to hit some sort of rock bottom and literally get snatched out of that lifestyle? Well, you're, in some ways, the question implies that all, that lifestyle and that um, that path that somebody's taken is a choice. And I haven't met a woman yet that was five or six years old that dreamed of growing up and being a prostitute or being trafficked. And you, so when somebody ends up living in that place and people think it's a choice, what I want to say is, what were the options? If that's the choice, what were the options in that person's life? And so I don't think you choose. It's easy to choose coming out of it. You know, if you didn't get there by yourself and it took failed systems and abusive relationships and all that to get you there, it's going to take a community to help you get out of it. And that's why we started Thistle Farms in Magdalene. It's like because when you are ready, when you're what, exactly what you said, when you hit whatever your bottom is, you need a community to help. You need somebody that is going to help you make a living and jobs. If you've been on the street since you were 14, you've never had work, you have felonies on your record, it is very hard to get ever get housing or work. You need a long-term therapist who's going to walk you back through the wreckage and the post-traumatic stress disorders. You need a physician who's going to look at your broken body and help you heal it. So to me, it's not just a woman choosing it. It is a woman working really hard with a community that are helping her be able to make that choice. And for those listening, um, Becca Stevens founded Thistle Farms, I believe, in 2001, which has nearly 50 residents and graduates, and you have a natural body, Caroline, a paper, and sewing studio, correct? And we have almost 70 now employees. Oh, wow. So for... Um, like 60-something. I can't remember the exact number today. And so in terms of individuals getting into Thistle Farms, um, how do they go about that, Becca? So all the residents, all the women who come to Magdalene, which is the long-term residential community, um, it had, we have six homes. Women come in, they stay free for two years. And after about six months, anybody is eligible that is a resident of the program to come work. Um, at this point in our 15 years of owning this business, we now have eight out of the 10 departments are run by graduates of the program. So some people, this is their career. The entire sales team, the national sales team with four, over 400 stores now, they um, are all graduates of the program, the entire sales team. And the same is true in shipping, in um, inventory control and manufacturing in accounting, all graduates of the program, and they do the training for the new women. So it keeps growing, but it's, the vast, vast majority of folks are either residents or graduates of the program. Excellent. Absolutely fabulous. Before we go, we've got to go to a break now, but just to leave you before we go to break is, did you know that Becca Stevens was inducted into the Tennessee Women's Hall of Fame 
and also conferred as an honorary doctorate by the University of South. Pretty darn good. And when we come back after break, we're going to ask Becca about her book, The Way of Tea and Justice, Rescuing the World's Favorite Beverage from Its Violent History. We'll be right back. Now I need tea. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca, and we will be right back. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500. Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back to Mental Health Matters with Dr. Peter Sacco on radio that doesn't suck.com and rtds.ca. When I'm all through, if I haven't been what they think I should be, if the total isn't high enough when they figure me. When I grow old, if there's no gray from worry in my hair, what do I care? What do I care? What do I care just as long as you are mine? Well, hello there, and welcome back to Matters of the Mind on this cold Wednesday, at least where we are. Winter is still here, but we survived that deep freeze heavy snowstorm. But with that said, we've got somebody very warm, very outgoing, and definitely very insightful from the warmer place called Tennessee. And that is Becca Stevens, who's joining us. Becca is a tremendous person. 
She is one of the premier preachers and speakers in the United States of America. She's an author, prolific writer, speaker, founded Thistle Farms in 2001, which helps over 70 residents and graduates, especially those trying to get out of prostitution, trafficking, and addiction. And before we went to break, we talked about Becca's latest book, The Way of Tea and Justice, Rescuing the World's Favorite Beverages from Its Violent History. So, Becca, where the heck does that title come from? Well, it comes from um, about, oh gosh, two or three years ago now, when all these folks started coming to Thistle Farms. They wanted to learn about this model. We've had folks from Canada come to say, you know, how is it that you're doing this housing model, which is two years free for women who are coming off the streets from trafficking and addiction and prostitution, and how are you making a successful social enterprise with that population to grow it in this way. So when people started coming, we thought, we've got to have a cafe to feed them. If we're about hospitality and welcoming the stranger, we need a cafe. And plus, it was a way to hire an additional, you know, five or six women immediately and train them as baristas and cafe workers. So we got the community together. We opened up a cafe, and we decided tea was going to be our drink. Um, you know, we had made our whole living on bath and body care items that were healing for the body. So it made sense when we got ready to look at healing, you know, not oils that you put on your body, but tinctures that you can drink that are healing, that we would go to teas. And then I started doing all the research on teas and trying to find more justice-oriented teas that honored the women that were growing it and um, the pickers that were picking it and the manufacturers that were producing it, and it was hard to find. It was very hard to find, and I started seeing documentaries like The Bitter Taste of Tea that talked about, you know, really how still there's so much injustice around tea currently, and it had, tea has not done as well as coffee, because coffee, you know, the fair trade in coffee is much better. So anyway, once I started learning about it, and then I had to go back and really look at the history, it was like, tea has been tied to trafficking for so long. You think about the opiate wars in China in the 1840s and the East Indian Tea Company, you know, that basically had so much power it could levy war. And how really the trading and trafficking of tea and people along with it um, ushered in whole industries. If you think of all the wars and all the treaties, tea is there. You think about three powerful world religious philosophies. Tea is central to it. And so tea has this huge place in the world, second most consumed beverage after water. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I I would have thought coffee would have been a bit higher, but... Hmm. Aren't y'all tea drinkers? We we have British lineage up here, so we are a nation of tea drinkers. But now, your your evil overlord Starbucks has made its way into Canada, so we're now addicted to dark coffees. Well, oh I would my be God, I'm not a saying, coffee. What about hot chocolate? Oh yeah, hot chocolate. Could be hot up. chocolate drinkers up here, Becca. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know, but I just thought you know, tea is the oldest cultivated plant. There's one tea plant in the whole world, so it's universal. And it is healing. I mean, even though that there is caffeine in, in certain ways that you can produce tea, it is so much better for you than coffee. It's it's 
truly. I mean, and there's a renaissance of tea. You know, Starbucks, that evil overlord you're talking about, which is not my evil overlord, by the way. Um, <laughs> it has even bought Tivana because there's such a resurgence in tea drinking. You know, people have found that green teas are, you know, full of antioxidants, and there's a huge market now for green teas. So we started trying to help start small social enterprises in other parts of the world where the women were a part of growing, manufacturing, and producing the teas, and they owned it. That's amazing. That's really interesting. Absolutely amazing. So the, the predominant message within um, the book, The Way of Tea and Justice, what would you say it is, Becca, in terms of what uh, readers would get from it and what they can expect to you know find and learn about in there? I would say that the predominant message is simply we have to care about what we consume in a way that awakens our spirits, that feeds our spirits as well as our bodies, that we have to think when we are drinking and eating about who it is that is making this and how it is we can treat ourselves to a great, you know, exceller that is healing and wonderful without harming another person. So it is almost along the premise, you are what you eat, but within this, literally, you are what you drink. I love that. Can I take that? Can you feel that? <laughs> we need ongoing Absolutely. royalties. <laughs> I love what I'm you said. I'm going to turn that into a country song. <laughs> I, I love the uh, the Thistle page, thistlefarms.org. Why the thistle? Thistles grow on the streets and alleys where residents and graduates walked. Uh, they have a deep root that can shoot through concrete and survive drought. It's it's an it's an interesting image that you know it, it conveys uh, stubbornness and power and and uh, uh, just a way to survive. Yes, and the and the beautiful thing is it is it like tea and like the issues of you know sexual violence against women is universal. You can find the thistle any country that you go in. It finds a way to take root and grow, and that each thistle has this beautiful, soft purple center that reminds us, even though there's these prickly and horrible outer parts, there's these just, you know, beautiful, useful, creative centers to all of us. So the one of the very first videos I saw on thistles that talked about how healing they were came out of Canada. I think it was the milk thistle or the bull thistle, I can't remember. And there was a young woman on this video up in, I don't even know where it was in Canada. And she went out to a field and she started stripping the barks off thistles and chopping up the little stalks and talking about the nature of the healing of that. It was awesome. I'll have to Google that and try and see if we can find it. And so, yeah, and then and also, you know, one of the first blends of tea we made was thistle tea. Thistle tea, you know, it ends up that thistles are so good for restoring and detoxifying your liver. You think about the women that we serve, many of them are hepatitis C positive, and many of them have liver issues. I mean, hepatitis C directly affects the issue, but so does alcohol abuse. And that we would pick the flower or weed or whatever your perspective is. Without even knowing that, we were participating in our own healing. That's absolutely I, phenomenal. So basically, I guess, Becca, you're taking uh, to healing uh, a body-mind-spirit approach, a holistic approach, correct? Yes, we're calling it body-mind and tea. 
Like Body, that. mind, and tea. Very cool. I like that. <laughs> and it is. I mean, one, if you've ever gone to a tea, you know, a tea ceremony, and the intention with how people drink it and consume it, it does change your perspective on it and the ritual that it's filled with and the way that, you know, tea calls us to sit and be in real conversation with each other and share stories with each other, that it is a way for us to be engaged. There is also now, and I just learned about this about six months ago, a movement among the young people like us to start having tea parties again. And they call them Tea with Strangers. I don't know if you've seen any of it on the internet. No. But anyway, it's Tea with Strangers and it's inviting people once again to kind of revitalize the old, you know, tea, um, what do you call them, like tea houses? Like, yeah, like there was a tea social. It was always a, a, a formal sit-down where there was conversation and tea served, and you would rarely see that with coffee. With coffee, it was more casual, but even from our British lineage, the tea was very formal, and there was always conversation right. and, and, and interaction with others. Yeah, well, so it was like a today, dinner time. Today, what we're doing, I'm in Athens, Georgia right now at the University of Georgia today, and we're having a, tea, a justice tea party this afternoon. We're just calling it a justice tea party. And women come, and they bring their own pots and teacups to share with one another. And we provide a tea that is blended with moringa from a brand-new social enterprise of women, some who are getting their very first paycheck ever. And moringa is this great healing tree with, that's an herb. And then the black tea is from Uganda, from a brand-new social enterprise called Hope Tea that we helped found. And you were talking about my husband earlier, the singer-songwriter. It's our very first jingle. He wrote a jingle called Hope Tea. So we're putting it in a 30, we're going to make a 30-minute commercial on But that's a side point. But this afternoon, we'll serve this beautiful justice tea and the women will have conversation around their stories that's awesome and, and just i'm just going to put one little plug in here uh becca we do have a very good canadian band that's well i don't know if they're still kicking around called the tea party you might want to check them out just saying and with that said becca i just gotta ask and this is kind of like a, a line out of uh one of my favorite movies of all time my cousin Vinny, where they say basically down your neck of the woods any southerner self-respecting southerner would not serve instant grits they would do them right from scratch basically so is that hold the same thing with tea for you that it has to be loose leaf tea and not the instant one in a bag um, I am not um, a tea purist. I am a tea lover. And so I can appreciate whatever somebody offers me in serving. If I had my choice, yes, I would have a loose leaf. If I had my choice, I would know the growers. <laughs> but that's not always how it is. And I will appreciate any good cup of tea if it allows me to have a conversation with another person, too. And just to follow that up, I have somebody that I know will be listening later in on the show when we air it tonight that would probably, she's going to smack me for not asking this question since, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is tea. What are your thoughts? Do you actually ever or ever believe in the ability to read tea leaves about somebody? Do you know that's, I mean, that is so funny. I wanted to learn how to do that. I thought that would be really a fun trick at this cafe that you could go in and you could learn. It's I think it's tessalogy, or I can't remember how to even say it now, to read tea leaves. And what happened was, you know, 
I saw a bunch of wilted leaves in the bottom of a cup. You would turn it over, spin the water, flip it over. And I kept just seeing the leaves. And I tried to do it like where you see negative space or 3D images. I tried to do all of it. And finally, it was like, oh, my gosh, I need to read the leaves. I need to actually listen to the story these leaves have to tell, not create something new, but find out what these leaves. So I did actually the leaves of the tea plant led me to a great history and to start um, a whole new venture in my life. But it was literally looking at those leaves and saying, they have the story to tell. So you said the next adventure of your life, and I want to ask you, what what do you feel is the next adventure? Where does Thistle Farms go from here? I'm, I'm looking at your website right now, and you've got these amazing travel survival kits. You've got rugby shirts. You've got soy candles, some amazing things. You've also got the cafe that does the, the boots on the ground where you're actually doing the work and, and, and transforming lives. Where do you go from here? I hope to Canada. We're, we're ready and waiting. Absolutely. Good. Bring it together, Rebecca. Come on, let's go. Y'all are so kind, and we are we are ready to keep, you know, expanding this venture and finding new partners. In my mind, all this work of social justice is a non-competitive sport, so we keep partnering and making new friends. We're not trying to get bigger. We're just trying to be a part of a growing movement, well, and y'all are great to have us. Well, it's funny you mention that because I'm, I'm – in my experience now, I'm meeting a lot of young entrepreneurs, and the thing that stands out from businesses of the past is they all have a social element. They want to do good. They want to make money and, and support themselves, but they all want to tie it to some sort of social initiative, and I find that fascinating and very heartening. Mm, me too. I'm glad. That's such good news. And it, I think it's smart business, and it's good business, and people... When you bring that social justice element into business to be a social entrepreneurship, I think you find that it's a very good business model and people want to hope with you. So, Becca, we have just a few minutes left here. And before we let you go, which we really don't want to because we really like that southern accent. <laughs> it really warms us on a day like this. You don't know the half of it. And... I just want to ask, uh, especially for those listening and tuning in and that stuff, because uh, we are going to post a link on our show's site online. Um, thank you, thank how you. Can, how can people learn more about, you know, um, what you are doing in terms of um, helping um, the whole, you know, the gambit of prostitution, trafficking and addiction, and also with Thistle Farms? If, is there an option for people to get involved, volunteer, contact you, or can they do anything to help your cause? Yes. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yes. I mean, you can do all of that. We want people to be social media advocates, meaning please join us on this movement. We share information you know, um, whether it's legislation or products that are healing or new women's stories, we would love friends to share that message with their friends. That is, you know, we don't have a huge budget for marketing. That is huge for us. And we want people to speak their own truth, too. You know, not just tell our story, but be able to find a way to have their voice speak what they believe to be true and remind people how women do come off the streets. Women do heal, and we cannot, we don't have to give up on anybody. We want people to obviously buy the products, put them in your business. What? How much fun would it be if I got to call you guys back and report we had, 
you know, several orders from Canada, which never happens. That would be awesome. You know, to think our products are up there, you know, Love Heals is stamped on every one of them. People are having our candles in their window or their soaps in their bathrooms. That's awesome. We also want people to, you know, think about how they can get more involved in their own community. And part of our goal is to continue to network with local communities. And so maybe, you know, if two or three people are contacting us, we can, you know, make sure we make those connections among those folks. So people are connected right where they are. So you're furthering your mission in an informal way by having people take your principles and practices and then apply them in a local area outside of your, your geographic area. Yes, and that's what we're trying to do. We're not, we're not franchising, but we've helped more than 20 communities start programs in their areas, and now all those folks are connected to one another. Everybody has their own, you know, not-for-profit, and everybody, you know, has their own board of directors, but we support and love each other. And you know what? And I, I think it's awesome. And I think, you know, what's really cool about this here is that tea is, if you look at it, you know, the metaphor for comfort. It's a, it's a very comforting drink. It's a very comforting situation where people sit around, talk, and connect. And I think the key element with this all, folks, those tuning in, if you look at something like Thistle Farms, what Becca has created, it helps women. And that is, and those are, somebody's daughter somebody's sister, somebody's mother, somebody's granddaughter, somebody's best friend, that is a person that needs and should and definitely be welcome to live a life filled with comfort. And I think, Becca, you have definitely brought that out to the world, and it is phenomenal. Thank you so much. I love talking to you all. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Becca, and definitely we're going to have to get you back here. And, you see, I live right in Niagara Falls. Wouldn't a really cool marketing stunt be I'll provide the water, you provide lots of tea, and why don't we fill the Niagara Falls area? The base of it is one <laughs> giant pot of tea. Let's let's recreate That's the tea party, perfect. the Boston Tea Party in the falls. Yeah, I like let's it. Let's do it next summer. Sounds good, Becca. Thanks so much. Peace, you guys. We're going to take a short break and have a cup of tea, and you're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio, Talk-Radio, every Wednesday at 8. You can Welcome back to Matters of the Mind. And as usual, we had an awesome, tremendous guest, Becca Stevens. And for those wanting to learn and know more about her, definitely check out our uh, links, our sites, and definitely go and visit Thistle Farms Online. It is a tremendous, tremendous um, organization that she has created. And, you know, we're still gushing Todd and I over. Uh, it's got to be the, the southern accent, eh, Todd? You know, yeah, I mean, I forgot to ask uh, Becca about sweet tea because, you know, up here we call it uh, iced tea and you go anywhere south of Niagara Falls and you ask for iced tea and they look at you and go, oh, you mean sweet tea? And we go, okay. (laughs) So I don't know what the difference is, but I wonder if they make sweet tea at the cafe. I'm going to have to go look. 
Yeah, and they, I, I forgot to ask her too. I was curious about sun tea. Do you remember we used to do sun tea as kids? No, what was that? It's where you get a bottle of water and you go put it out in the sun on a hot day and throw a tea bag in there and it steeps, but you know, or whatever, loose leaf tea, I guess. And then you'd go drink it and let the sun basically brew it. And I know it's still popular in some states. I've seen it when I've been down there. Oh, okay. Very cool. And I guess it's, it's you know, looking at tea um, and how she presented it, I think it's a tremendous metaphor. And I think not just a metaphor, but in the essence of what it represents and what she's doing with the organization. And I think, you know, with um, folks like Becca, and we've had other, um, and I like to call them champions of hope on her show, champions of change on her show, that have really tried to make a difference in the world. And I think it starts with one step at a time. And I really always believe inch by inch, everything's a cinch, but you just gotta get started moving in the right direction to create that change. Yeah, and I, I just before we close, I don't want to minimize the um, what I said earlier. I said you know people just need to move on because it's really not that simple. It, it really they need to make that choice, but it is very difficult for each one to do it at a certain point and say I've had enough. I want to move on and and forgive and heal. And I recognize that it's just not as easy as as I perhaps made it sound earlier in the show. Yeah, I guess with all change, you know, at some point it's an inside job. Uh, only, and I, you know, we talked about this, only you know when you've really moved on and you move beyond the past. And I think, Todd, maybe it's at that point where you no longer grit your teeth anymore, feel like crying, feel like squeezing um, something tight because you're upset. And perhaps, you know, and Becca brought it up about post-traumatic stress that some individuals will continually take with them moving forward. And I guess the hope in that is, is that it gets reduced each and every day and they really move on in a recovery process towards healing. And I think when a person can truly find their true essence and the soul that they are, their inner soul, and finally find that moment, aha, I am truly alive today. I think that's when life just becomes so much better. Yeah, and you just, you, you you actually start living again. Your life begins when you get rid of all that stuff. Absolutely. And speaking of living, have a great week. And we will see up. you, I guess, or you will hear us next week. Same time, same Bat Channel. <laughs> Adam West. Let's go with a little bit of Batman music, maybe. You're listening to Matters of the Mind and Listen Up Talk Radio. Catch you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. And don't forget, you can find us on podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and also iTunes. If you can't You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Reach him on his website, petersacco.com, or you can reach him through Listen Up at talk-radio.ca. We really thank you for listening. Reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash listenuptalkradio, on Twitter at at listenuptalk. We'll catch you next week. You don't need no pills. That man is not your man, and that's why I'm